If you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to turn to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2 is where we're going to be uh, this morning. As you are finding that uh, in your Bible or your mobile device, uh, let me say a word of welcome, not only to those downstairs here in the well, but also to those upstairs in the Well Cafe. My name is David. I'm one of the pastors here, and I especially want to welcome you if this is your first time uh, here with us at First Methodist Mansfield, or just your first time here uh, in the Well or the Well Cafe. Uh, This weekend is the first weekend in what the Christian church refers to as the season of Lent, uh, an intentional journey that we take each year with Jesus to the cross. Uh, Lent is a time where we again acknowledge that we believe that there is a path that leads to life, that we as human beings have this tendency to stray from that path, and that we celebrate again that God has made a way for us to find that right path again. Uh, For us this year, it's also going to be a journey that we take uh, called Discovering the Holy Land. And so over the next six weeks, I'm going to be sharing with you from my recent trip to the Holy Land. So Pastor Mike and I just got back about a week and a half ago. We're sort of feeling normal uh, now uh, after being back and making those long flights uh, there and back. We took with us a professional photographer and two members of our video team so that we could bring to you that experience in this series. And so you've already seen a little bit of that uh, in in our video this morning. Many of those, those images that you've already seen we'll talk about uh, over the next six weeks. But uh, before we dive into Mark chapter 1, the very beginning of Mark's gospel, I want to give you a sense of what I mean when I say the Holy Land. So we're going to see a few maps, uh, and I wish I could make this just gigantic for, uh, for you to see and really experience. This should be full screen for you upstairs in the cafe, but this is kind of current day, uh, a current day map of the area. And what you see in the, air, in the area that is white, is what is the nation of Israel today. Now, in the area that we would consider to be the Holy Land, you also see the tan area that's kind of circular. That is the West Bank area, which is the area that's under Palestinian control currently. So that area plus the white area is what we would consider to be the Holy Land. The next, uh, next picture here, the next map, gives you some sense of some of the topography, the, the geographic features that you see when you go to the Holy Land. And what I want you to notice is that what you have there are really two sets of mountain ranges that run parallel through, uh, through the nation of Israel and the West Bank area. And then there is this valley that cuts between these two mountain ranges. And in this valley, you find some important bodies of water. So there at the top in the north, you find the Sea of Galilee, also referred to as the Sea of Tiberias in the scriptures. Uh, From the Sea of Galilee down to this larger body of water, you have the Jordan River. So up in the north, current day, present day uh, times, up in the north, the Jordan Valley cut, the Jordan River cuts through the middle of the nation of Israel. And as you come south, it actually forms a border between Israel and the West Bank on the left and the nation of Jordan on the right. So the, the river comes all the way south and it empties itself into the Dead Sea. Now the Dead Sea is called the Dead Sea because everything that goes to the Dead Sea dies. Okay, so it's a very creative name. Nothing can survive in the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is the lowest point on the entire earth 
And because of the high mineral content in that body of water, nothing can survive and people float. Okay, that's just kind of another side note about the Dead Sea. The third picture that I want to show you here is just some major cities in the Holy Land that will give you, that'll help you as we seek to understand the biblical narrative. So first, in the north, you see the city of Nazareth where Jesus grew up. And then around the Sea of Galilee, you see the city of Capernaum. Capernaum was the home of Peter, and it is probably where Jesus lived during his three years of public ministry. Most of that time, Jesus spent around the Sea of Galilee. So most of Jesus' life happened up in the northern portion of the Holy Land. As you come south, you find the city of Jerusalem, where Jesus would have come in the final week of his life. Just south of Jerusalem, you find the city of Bethlehem, where Jesus was born, the city of David. And then if you look to the east and just north of the Dead Sea, you find the city of Jericho, which is the oldest city in the world. So with that kind of general overview and that framework, I want you to hear our scripture from today, which is the first 11 verses of Mark's gospel. Here's how he starts his story of Jesus' life. He says, The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And so, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, went out to John, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Again, this river that cuts through the center of the Holy Land. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. And he ate locusts and wild honey. Wonderful diet there. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my son whom I love with you. I am well pleased. So Mark begins his gospel by telling us the story of a man named John the Baptist. And he describes the ministry of John the Baptist as being the fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah. That one would come and prepare the way for the Messiah. And that was John's ministry. That was John's message. And so he's out in the wilderness. He is preaching this message. And as a response to his message, John is inviting people to be baptized. Jesus is one of the ones who comes to the Jordan River, hears the message of John, and is baptized by him in the river. And then this moment happens where heaven opens, and, and Jesus hears the voice that says, You are my son whom I love, in you I am well pleased. Now if you come back with me to present day, to the Sea of Galilee area where it empties into the Jordan River, what you will find is a place called Yardanit. I'm going to show you a little video from this place now. Yarden is Hebrew for how they refer to the Jordan River. Yarden literally means descender, which is an appropriate name for a river that takes water from the Sea of Galilee, descending it down into the Dead Sea. That's what the Jordan River does. Yardenite is a place 
on the Jordan River where Christians have come for many years to reaffirm their baptism and to renew their baptism. And so in just a few moments, you're going to see some video of some of our, uh, the people who went on our trip having their baptism reaffirmed uh, by sprinkling, uh, as well as some who'll be doing that by immersion here in just a moment. Uh, as you can imagine, to be there in that river, uh, in that place, uh, to, to, to be fulfilling this ritual was a deeply moving experience uh, to be there. It was also really cold, uh, which is, it's, you kind of see that in the faces. I mean, it's a spiritual moment, but they're also freezing, which kind of adds you know, to the energy a little bit. This area is not the area where Jesus was baptized. The reason that it's not is because up until a few years ago, the area where we think Jesus was probably baptized had landmines on both of those, those banks, okay? So it wasn't a great place for baptism. You know, it kind of had some danger involved. So, but this place was constructed uh, in Israel for, again, Christians to come, and to reaffirm their baptism. And we, we did that for, for all 63 who were part of that trip with us. In fact, today, at the conclusion of our service, we're going to give you the opportunity to do the same thing, to reaffirm your baptism. But let's, let's back up and let me address a few questions. The first question is, who is John and what is he doing? What is this thing that he's doing in the wilderness? So you've probably already noticed that uh, the four gospel writers tell the story of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection in different ways. Mark does not begin with the story of Jesus' birth. So if all we had was Mark, there would be no Christmas pageant, okay? Because uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't choose to tell that story. He begins his story in this way, by telling you about John the Baptist and the way he prepared the way for Jesus. But what all four gospel writers include is the character of John and this work that he is doing, preparing the way for Jesus. Now what we learn from Luke's gospel is that John's mother... And Jesus' mother were cousins, making these two men second cousins, if I've got my genealogy uh, phrasing right. What that means is that this moment that we see here in Mark chapter 1 is probably not the moment where John and Jesus met. They'd probably known each other before then. It's possible that John and Jesus had spent at least some time, if not a significant amount of time in their childhoods Together, We know again, according from Luke's gospel, that when Mary heard from the angel that she would have a son and this son would be named Jesus, the first place that Mary went was to the home of Elizabeth, John's mother, to stay with her. And what Luke tells us is that, is that Mary stayed with Elizabeth until John was born. John was six months older than Jesus. What is absolutely clear in all four Gospels is that John understood his work, his ministry to be about preparing the way for the Messiah and that John was absolutely convinced that that Messiah was his cousin, Jesus. That's what's absolutely clear. Now, how, how do you prepare for this? How does one prepare for the coming of the Messiah? According to John, the way in which you prepare for this is that you confess your sins and you approach this monumental moment in human history with an attitude of repentance. Now, the word in Greek is the word metanoia. And when we think about repentance, we may think about coming to God and saying, God, we're sorry. We're sorry. We know that we're supposed to be following this path, but we've been following this path. We know that you've called us to live our lives this way, but we've been living our lives this way. We think of repentance as coming to God and saying, God, we're sorry. But this word that sits at the heart of John's message and his ministry is about more than just saying to God, God, we're sorry. 
Because this word metanoia literally means to turn around. So it's not only saying, God, we're sorry we've been going in the wrong direction. It's also saying, God, we are committed to a new way of living. We want to die to the old way. We don't want to think the same way. We don't want to live the same way. We want to engage in a whole new way of thinking and living. The old way is gone. The old way is going to die. We're going to live in a brand new way. So it's more than saying we're sorry. I'm really sorry, God. It's about saying, God, I am committed to turning my life around to living in a brand new way. I was heading this way, and now, Lord, I'm going to head this way. And this word that, again, sits at the heart of John's message and John's ministry, this word was symbolized in this act that John is inviting his audience to do, the symbol of baptism. So in baptism, someone is descended into the water. And as you descend into the water, that is symbolic of your decision to die to the old way of living. Those things are going down in with me in the water. And as that person comes back up, it is a symbol of their commitment to being raised into a new way of life. And according to John, this is how you prepare for the Messiah. You prepare for the Messiah by being entered into the water, dying to your old self, to your old ways of thinking and living and being raised up again into this new way of life, this new way of thinking, this new way of living. Now what many Christians are surprised to realize is that John did not invent baptism. That's not why we call him John the Baptist. Because he invented that. That's, that's actually not true. What John is doing in the wilderness is, is something that would have been common practice for Jews living at that particular time. So let me show you a couple of images that, uh, that illustrate this. The first one is a shot looking down into what Jews would have referred to as a mikvah. And what you see here in this shot are stairs going down into what would have been a body of water. And the idea was that you entered into the body of water to the point where you were fully submerged. You went down the right side of the stairs and you came back up out of the water on the left side of the stairs. This picture was taken from the entrance to the temple in Jerusalem. So when Jews came to the temple to deliver their offering, the way in which they ritually prepared themselves was to enter into a mikvah walking down the right side of the steps till one was submerged and then coming back up the left side. And the idea was that when this ritual was complete, after you had descended into the water and then ascended back up above the waters, you were ritually clean and pure to enter into the sacred space of the temple. This next picture is from a community called Qumran. Some of you may have heard of Qumran. How many of y'all have heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? Dead Sea Scrolls? If you don't know, the Dead Sea Scrolls are the oldest copies of the Bible that we have uh, discovered uh, in Qumran. That's where, that's where they were found. Qumran was a village where a community of Jews had gone to live. These were Jews who had rejected the leadership in Jerusalem. They had rejected the way they felt like the leadership had sold out to the Romans. And they went out to the wilderness to live. To, to start a new community. And in this community, one of the rituals that became very important was the ritual of going to the mikvah. 
to be purified, to be spiritually cleansed. So go ahead and go to that next picture. You see a better shot of what this was. Again, a way to descend into a body of water. You would enter on the right side and you would come back up out of the left side. And the idea was that when you did this, it was a way of purifying yourself. It was a way of coming before God and saying, God, I want to live my life in a new way. And so I'm entering into these waters and I'm dying to my old way of life, to my old way of thinking, and I'm coming back out of the waters cleaned and purified to live the life that you have called me to live. Now, if you were here Ash Wednesday, this this last Wednesday, which was the official first day for us of Lent, you know that this season for us today begins with a similar theme. We, we, we celebrate Ash Wednesday, and the reason that it's called Ash Wednesday is it's a, it's a time to remember that we come from dust and we return to dust, that our lives are temporary, and that in between our birth and our death, we believe that there is a way that leads to life, a way that Jesus described as the way that leads to eternal life. That's the way that God has called us to live, but often we find ourselves living a different way. And so we begin this season, this journey with Jesus to the cross in this attitude of confession, this attitude of repentance. We come to God and we say, God, we understand that this life will not go on forever. That this is a gift that you have given me. And God, I confess my sins. I confess the ways that I've lived this life the wrong way. And I want to live this life in a brand new way. I want to be purified. I want to be cleansed. I want to make this journey to the cross with you in the appropriate way. So purify me and cleanse me to be the person that you have called me to be. Now, as you think about this act of baptism, you think about this idea of confession and being purified, I want you to hear what Adam Hamilton writes in his book, The Way, where he talks about being in the Jordan River. He says this, when you stand in the Jordan, again, I want you to remember this picture of the Sea of Galilee, there's the Dead Sea, and then there's the Jordan River that runs between. He says, when you stand in the Jordan, you can see the water flowing south. Again, the river's called the Yarden, descending water down into the Dead Sea. And in just a couple of miles, it empties into the Dead Sea where the high mineral content ensures that virtually nothing survives. The imagery is powerful. Your sins are being washed away to the Dead Sea, along with your guilt, never to be held against you again, and ideally no longer having power over you. So we come to the waters of God's grace, and we enter into those waters. And as we enter into those waters, this is is what the water does. The water cleanses us. It takes all the sin and all the guilt and all the shame and all the junk that's been churned up in our lives because of the way we've chosen to live out our days. It takes, us all, that, takes all that junk and it purifies it. It makes it clean. It makes us whole again. But then, beyond that, not only does it wash these things off of us, but, but the symbolism here is not only does it cleanse us, but then it takes those things It takes that sin and it takes that guilt and it takes that shame. It takes all that junk and it takes it to the place where nothing can survive. It takes that place where it has to die and it can't come back anymore. It empties itself into the one place on earth where it can't survive. It's gone forever because nothing is allowed to survive in the Dead Sea. That's what happens. 
when we enter into the waters of God's grace. When we come to God in a spirit of confession and an attitude of repentance and we say, God, not only are we sorry, we want to live differently. We've, we've followed this path. It's a path that we thought was going to be for our good, but it hasn't ended up being that way. It's been for our harm. And we don't want to live that way anymore. We don't want to live with that guilt. We don't want to live with that shame. We don't want to live with all the junk that we've found following that path. So make us clean and make us pure and take those things to the places where they can live no longer because we don't want them to be a part of our life anymore. Now, all that raises a question, why was Jesus baptized? <laughs> because we know Jesus was the one who lived among us as the one without sin. So why did the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior, come to the Jordan River to participate in this act of purification that John was doing? And if you look at Matthew's account of this story, John himself is a little confused by that. He tries to talk Jesus out of being baptized. And what he says to him is, wait a second, I shouldn't be baptizing you. You should be baptizing me. And this is what Jesus says to him. Jesus says, allow me to be baptized now. This is necessary to fulfill all righteousness. So what does Jesus mean by that? Why does Jesus come to be baptized? Two thoughts for you. First, I think Jesus comes because he wants to connect himself with our deepest spiritual need. Your deepest spiritual need and my deepest spiritual need is to be cleansed, is to be purified. It's it's to do something with the junk that is churned up in our lives, to be purified and be cleansed and to be set right with God again. And so Jesus comes and he enters into those waters ahead of us and he invites us to follow him into the waters of God's grace. Jesus goes there because he knows we need to go there. We need to go to the place where our stuff is dealt with, where our sins are forgiven and the guilt and shame is killed forever in our life. Jesus goes there to say, these are waters where things can happen for you, where your lives can be renewed. But the second reason I think Jesus goes to this moment of baptism is that it is at this moment that heaven is moved. And it is at this moment that Jesus hears from above, you're my son, I love you, and in you I am well pleased. So we're only 11 verses into Mark's telling of the gospel story. And we're only one weekend to this journey through the Holy Land, these different places that Jesus came. But, but already you see f- uh, some foreshadowing of some things that will be at the heart of Jesus' ministry and what he came to offer us in his death and resurrection. The first is an invitation for you to be purified. Jesus came for us to cleanse us to forgive us, and to set us right with God again. Jesus enters into the waters of baptism ahead of us to say, here is the place where grace can be received and lives can be renewed. But it is also an invitation to be reclaimed by your Father. That as we enter into the waters of God's grace, part of what we hear from God is, you're my son. You're my daughter. I love you. And in you, I am well pleased. And that's the invitation today. As we make this first stop on the bank of the Jordan River 
and we remember the baptism of Jesus, the invitation is to remember that if you've already been baptized, if you've already received that gift in your life, you have been purified and you have been reclaimed by your Father. The stuff that has lived in your life that you didn't want to be there anymore, God has dealt with it. He has taken it to the place where it can no longer survive. And you've been reclaimed as a son, a daughter of God. And if you've never been baptized, if you've never received the gift, that's the invitation of today, to be purified. To have that stuff dealt with in your life and to hear maybe for the first time those words from heaven that would say, I love you. And in you, I am well pleased. Let's pray. (laughs) Loving and gracious God, we pause to give you thanks for Jesus. For this ministry that we will see unfold in these coming weeks of what Jesus came to do for us on our behalf. We thank you for this moment, Lord, where we see Jesus offering himself in advance of our need, connecting himself with our deepest spiritual need, entering into the waters of your grace and and showing for each of us this wonderful and amazing news that you have a solution to that which ails the human heart. You, You have a response to the hurt and pain that we have all experienced in our life. You have a way of cleansing us and purifying us and making us whole again. So if we've never come, Lord, give us the courage to come to the banks of the Jordan River and to receive this gift for the first time. And if if that gift has already been received, to remember, Lord, that we have been purified and that we have been reclaimed by, by you a God who loves us more than we can ever imagine. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.